For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that, you know, takes care of itself. It's time to do a little stargazing, and boy, did we assemble a roster for you guys today. We've got Taylor, we've got Mark, we've got Trent. Oh man, we got a lot. We got a lot to going on. Lots to talk about. Um, it's all going to be fantastic. Shiny puppies, rock and roll. F it, let's go. Who's who's happy to be here tonight? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> I I'm pissy, and that's about as good as it can get. I'm still trying to figure out what puppies and rock and roll have to do with each other. <laughs> They're just mutually awesome. Yeah, the same puppies are great. As rainbows and butterflies. Rainbows and butterflies are also great. Yes, that would have been another thing I could have said. You know what's also great? Winning hockey games. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I watched the I, Dallas yeah, tell Stars. Tell me more about that. I, I thought you were going to say that what's great is getting assets way before the tra- trade deadline for all the people we're going to get rid of. Oh, man. I hope that they get enough assets in the John Klingberg trade to find a player just like John Klingberg. It'd be great. It'd be wonderful. Um, this one's going to be rough. I'm just just putting it out there because there's just not a lot, uh, not a lot of good uh, to talk about. We're obviously going to talk about the the last couple of games and, and how things are going going just just swimmingly. If you're a Dallas Stars fan, we're going to talk about what they might be able to do from here. We're going to talk about a little bit about Jason Robertson. We're we're just going to see we're just going to see where this one takes us because frankly, there's it's a lot going on, but it kind of defies a a specific agenda. So. Oof. Before we get too deep, rated E for explicit. So like, if if you're listening to this in the car with the kids, I might I might consider coming back to it. You know, this might be this might be one to to mute the volume or or put on your headsets and turn on the kids' music in the back. So we'll we'll start with just what has been a a brutal stretch for the Dallas Stars, where they've they've contrived to just fritter away any positive momentum, any good feeling from, you know, the little win streak that they had heading into, um, into the pause, I guess, with the exception of the St. Louis game. So since we last spoke, right, they've, they've handled the Kraken and then been humiliated in Florida and improbably things got worse uh, last night at home against the Montreal Canadiens, where I was informed Dallas was supposed to be quite good and was, was disappointed. Let's just start broad, big picture. We'll start with you, Taylor, and we'll just go around the room. Last three games, last three losses, give me like a sentence, kind of summarizing where you are emotionally with this team. I'm starting to lean towards indifference. Yeah. Um, which, you know, as a as a person who covers the stars, like, it's not a great place to be because you always want to try to find the storylines to, to talk about or to write about. And when the morale seems so bad and the vibe around the team isn't good, it's re- it's it's tough and it makes your job tough. Um, and it makes it even tougher, the fact that we are in the COVID time still and um, you have media uh, trying to ask questions through a black box via Zoom to players and there's a lack of connection there um, for you to be able to actually get really good quotes. Um, so it... it it's just getting to the point where it's just like, okay, how many more of these games do we have to go? Yeah, and I think that's dangerous. There, there's a really interesting point, and then then we'll get to uh, we'll get to the rest of the crew as well. There's a really interesting point that came up last year that I think is applicable this year as well. Talking about when and as things start to go bad right now, it's almost worse because you don't have as many. You know, there's there's still quite a few restrictions, as Taylor mentioned. Everything's just a little bit you know, COVID-y and weird. And so when things start to spiral, you have fewer ways to kind of distract you. You kind of have to wallow in it. So, you know, make stretches like this that were already bad enough, even worse. But, but Trent, we'll go to you next. Where, where are you? Um, I am 
somewhere past cynicism approaching nihilism. Um, kind of in this, uh, the on-ice product isn't, isn't what we want it to be. So, you know, let's just pay attention to the off-ice stuff and see how bad it can actually get. Um, just pull out the popcorn and hope for, I don't know, I, I want to say the best, but most likely just craziness. Crazy is a good word. Mark, finish us off. Where, where are you, buddy? I am institutionally depressed. And that, that, is, that is not only because the system doesn't work in Dallas, but the system also doesn't work in Cedar Park. And it's bleeding into Boise. And all of the teams in the Stars hierarchy suck right now. And they're all trying to implement kind of the same thing, and none of them can do it right. And if we can't do it right at any level, there must be something wrong. Well, no, we've just... been informed that they know what's wrong um, and that it will take care of itself. So I, I reject the premise of your statement, Mark. I believe that it's going to take care of itself and it's going to take care of itself in a off the ice fashion, not an on the ice fashion. It's it's was a regrettable statement for sure. Um, Taylor, it sounded like you were jumping in with something there. Yeah, so I was just going to say, um, it's not surprising to me that the system and and the personnel don't seem to match because I think we've kind of watched um, Dallas go for more uh, speed and skill in the last couple of drafts. And so you're starting to see that come into the system. And then you're trying to implement a system that's all about structure and defense first. And, you know, if you take care of your own end, then the other end takes care of itself mentality. and um, for my money, I don't think that the issues with Texas is really um, a factor of Neil Graham as the head coach. I think it's the fact of they're trying to play the same system as Dallas so that when you have players get called up, there's less transition time or less ramp up time for them getting comfortable and yep. being able to slot in. Um, because I do think that Neil Graham has it in him to get the best that he can out of the players in front of him. It just kind of feels like we're trying to square a peg well, into the, a round the hole. snarky <laughs> asshole in me would say the Texas Stars losing a bunch of games is playing the Dallas system to a T. Well, and I think Neil Graham's also very frustrated. If, if you watched any there, um, they're, they're heading out on a pretty extensive road trip right now. And, and he was asked about whether they were going to find any time to have any fun. And, and he pretty much said, we aren't winning games, so there's no reason to have any fun. Um, if people will do their jobs and, and, and play hockey the way they're supposed to, then maybe we'll think about it. And, and I think that's kind of the, the <laughs> nobody's having fun in this organization right now. And, uh, something has to change to make that different. Yeah. And let's, you know, changes, I think it, it, there's a lot of, of frustration right now. And, and there's a lot of things talking about, um, you know, what needs to change and, it, it almost seems to me like this this last little stretch, you know, especially last night against Montreal with Jason Robertson out of the lineup, pretty good example of, of how building a system on an elite line can, can get you into trouble if you all of a sudden lose that elite line. But one of the things that said as well is it's not like – so we'll talk tackle a couple of things. One of the, the big themes was – especially prior to, you know, the, the little mini COVID outbreak was Dallas had finally seemed to find some scoring equilibrium, right? And that there was a second unit, the, the Ben Sagan-Gurianov group was going a little bit. That seems to have gone away. Here's here's a question for the group. Is is Jason Robertson a stealth MVP candidate? Because it seems like this team goes completely to crap the moment he steps out of the lineup. I mean, maybe, but I also, I, I hesitate to say that the second line is completely gone. Um because Gurionov did miss time being on the COVID protocol. And when he, he's only played one game since returning um, and bonus straight up said he's not a hundred percent yet. Um, so I am hesitant to completely write that, that trio off um, because, you know, the other thing is, is like COVID is a thing that does attack like the lungs and, and your upper mm -hmm. respiratory. And I mean, good God, do hockey players need that? And so, I, while I don't want to use COVID as a crutch, I do think that it's important to also consider that in the context of things that half of this team or more has gotten it this year. Um, and I do think that you're going to see some residual impact of that and it might come through, you know, in 
a struggle game from Kiriana, for example. Yeah, I think that's the the lungs thing. And, and, you know, it's it's upsetting because it seems like, you know, they start the season without Robertson, they get him back and some secondary options are cold. And then just when the secondary options get going, this happens. And it's, you know, it's it's kind of the, the same old hard luck stars where there always seems to be, you know, last night's a, a classic example, right? There were what, I think six or seven posts over the course of the game. And it's, it's one of these bizarre moments where you look at the final scoreline, you think, oh, well, if a couple of those posts go in, it's an entirely different game. And Trent will pull you back into the the um, the conversation here because it's it's one of those classic instances where, on an individual game level, you could look at last night against Montreal and say, hey, sometimes you just don't get the bounces. Sometimes luck sucks and you lose. But you know, given the Stars' history, do you think that is a fair evaluation of the loss against Montreal? Um, I yeah, I definitely agree. I it, it's very easy on the game level, like you're saying, to just blame it on a couple posts or I mean, the goalie played outstanding hockey um but it career seems high like we always saves made i mean what? he had a career high 47 saves last night like he's never faced that many shots dallas had 110 shot attempts which That's was the most in any game since like 2017 or something and both of those teams that got that high lost the game so i yeah hockey I mean, is voodoo sometimes <laughs> it legitimately is <laughs> But I guess my problem with it is you zoom out, like you're saying, and we we see this Stars team make every goalie they play look exceptional. At some point, we got to quit looking at the individual game level and say it was a couple posts and we're back in it, or the goalie stood on his head, when that's the same thing in and out. Um, every single game, it seems, we're seeing a goalie that plays outstanding against the Stars. And, uh, you know, maybe, just maybe, that's the shooter's problem. Yeah. I was going to say, Mark, why do you think that is? Well, I think, and this is more of a longstanding concern is Dallas plays low event hockey for the most part. And we, when you play low event hockey, it means that every single moment where you have a chance either for or against it, the, the, the amount of impact on the game is leveraged up. And so this is the way that bad teams play. The way that you stay in a game is to lower the number of events and hope that you get the breaks. And so those few chances that you get, you may finish a few more than they do. And that's what Montreal was able to do to Dallas. But Dallas sets themselves up for that. And it's gone completely away from the high event hockey when, you know, I'm not sure that this team was all that more skilled when we were playing under the the last couple of years with Lindy Ruff, but we generated a lot of chances. And by generating a lot of chances, it gave our skill the opportunity to come to the fore. And we just thought we're better than you are. And by throwing more chances at it, we're going to score on more of those. And therefore we're going to win. And now we say, we're going to control every single chance that there is out there and hope that we get a break. And that's a sign of a bad team. And Taylor, just because you brought the, you brought the stat line up. Do you think that the Dallas, the nature of the chances they created last night against Montreal, was that, was that enough? I mean, maybe, um, (laughs) I don't, I don't know because I think that's by the just as an aside. Uh, while you, while well, I mean, those, I think that's the best reaction to anything about the Dallas Stars offense. Me, I mean, we have we we have to recognize when another team is turtling on us, right? And and the fact of the matter is that Montreal is a three period turtle, and they turtled us for sixty minutes and won. I mean, it's tough to evaluate this one game independent of the trends that we see like realistically i mean one player having a career bad shooting year is one thing a whole slew of them having that (laughs) says more about the system that they're in than like i don't i do not truly believe that the elite scorers like the tyler sagans of the world just magically just forget how to hockey 
Well, and I think the point that you raise, right, and that's kind of where we're getting to with all of this. On a on a one game sample, it is totally logical to say every now and then you're going to have more shots than anybody since 2017, and it's not going to matter, right? But the the yeah, problem still is still an NHL team. Like they're still up against an NHL team. Like yeah. yes, their record is horrible. Bad. Um, Montreal has probably had worse luck than Dallas. Um, I looked at their schedule heading into last year and or last game, and oh my god, I don't even know. It's very wacky. Do if you just take a look at it, it's COVID postponements everywhere, mixed in with a sprinkle of two like uh, exhibition games in Boston. What? What even are we doing here in the middle of the season? <laughs> anyway, um, but they're still NHL players. That's still NHL level talent, and. I have been told this by players themselves that say, you know, they get frustrated sometimes when fans talk about, well, they just didn't compete or they or their hearts weren't in it or they didn't want to fight for it or whatever. And they've told me, like, you forget, but that's an NHL team on the other side and their job is to shut me down. And so some nights it's just the other team did a better job and it just is what it is. And so, like, you can take that for one game and say, yeah, that's what it was like. Six posts, one of those posts goes in, especially right after they scored that short-handed goal or whatever, and it's completely different complexion and momentum is a real thing and whatever. But it's it's. I think I'm at the point where I just don't ride the highs and lows anymore because they're going to win, they're going to lose. It is what it is, either or be. They yeah, when the coach says they don't show up. Yeah, well, I'm splitting those splitting those those comments. I think one is again it it get the on a game by game basis. I totally agree. The thing with Dallas is in the, is that this isn't just one game, and it's also not just one player, right? When it's not the, just one season. Yeah, multiple. It's it's a five season trend. It's it's everybody on the roster. It's the old adage, right? If you walk around all day smelling like shit, check your shoes, right? Yeah. And that seems like where we are as an offense right now, which I think makes it in particularly galling. And, and, you know, we snark a lot about press conference sound bites because they're wretched and terrible. And you, you always have to take them with a grain of salt because there's coach speech and, you know, bonus or any other coach isn't isn't going to get up in front of a microphone, open up a whiteboard and say, well, here is the basic structure of our offense and here is what we're trying to do and here is the thing that they employed that broke our so you know they're not going to do that but i i do think that not helping the situation is a coach that just seems to find a way to say the thing that you it's it, the one thing that you least want to hear seems to be the thing that that comes out of his mouth after these tough, you know, after these tough losses, you know, talking about even going back to you know, mentioning that he forgot about Gurionov and Hintz during a game all the way up to the most recent comments about things taking care of themselves. Is the team still bought in yet? Yeah, you know, there's, there's an image problem alongside the on ice problem, which makes everything infinitely more frustrating. And I get that, but you know, like you said, I mean, coaches and players aren't, generally going to tell you exactly what they're feeling or thinking in in an open media setting where you usually get like more of that vibe or where you get you know deep are able to dig a little deeper into exactly what's going on and exactly what's happening is with your off the record conversations in the locker room after practices after morning skates whatever when it's a lot more freewheeling and easygoing and you can approach a guy and go up to him and say, you know, like, hey, I'm not writing for a story or anything, but I wanted to ask you about this specific play or this breakdown or whatever. And a lot of times you can get them and draw them in to talk to you about certain things. And then it starts a broader conversation. So that goes back to the whole. And that's things that like the fans just don't see. Um, but it does influence writers writing. Um so there's so like it's subtle, um, but you can you can see it sometimes. But like they're not gonna come out and just be like, oh well, you know, we just didn't show up today. <laughs> they're not ever gonna admit that. I mean, hockey players are proud people and they want to win and and like they really, I mean, that's a burning desire for every single one of them. So like, don't get that twisted. But they're not gonna also tell you that they've quit on their coach, not until that coach is out the door already. <laughs> and then they're gonna be like, oh yeah, we quit on him like four weeks ago, guys. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a on that topic and, and obviously we you know aren't aren't in those rooms but 
and we'll we'll bring you back in on this one, Mark. But it, it's it certainly seems like there is a a vibe of futility around the group right now. Yeah, and and it's hard to read because you you take a look, and I know that there's this general thought that was floating around about the playoff run, where where there was where people were just saying, you know, the the team decided to ignore their coaches and get more active offensively and hey look what this team could do and and there was thinking that maybe that was going to continue on into the next season and that all of a sudden there was going to at least be a modicum of offense coming out of this team and that got shut down fairly early on and and now we've kind of just doubled down on on the whole defense first and offense taking care of itself and and it's almost like the the people who are running the team have decided that they're going to double down with with what people don't like about the defensive structure of the team and and come hell or high water that's what we're going to roll with and if it doesn't work then i i think they're probably gonna see what happens afterwards and i think that's the way the whole organization is yeah, and this this is a question, Trent. I'll ask you because this is giving me a vibe, and, and we showing my age a little bit, right? So, in, in many ways, the current Dallas Stars. I think David Castillo had this on Twitter. He's a great follow, but talking about how, in many ways, the the late rough era Dallas Stars were a precursor of the modern NHL, and that it was not the largest team in the league, but one that prioritized possession and and moving the puck and generating chances, and really kind of was a bit ahead of the curve until that game versus St. Louis and then kind of overcorrected themselves back into the stone age. And the reason I bring up that arc is one, I think it's instructive as kind of how we got here overall as the Dallas stars kind of turning away from something that was working because of a couple of bad outcomes. And it it almost feels like because of goaltending, all you have to do is upgrade your goaltending. Exactly. But I mean, honestly, Taylor, it feels like we're part of what we're seeing is we're back there, right? This team hit a rough patch, um, you know, call it puck luck, call it bad schedule, right? Whatever. And instead of, it feels like at least instead of looking at ways to generate better chances, to generate offense, to generate wins that way, this team's like going back to rough, right? This team's response to adversity is to try and lock things down even more, which is, you know, you wind up in a situation where a one goal lead feels insurmountable these days. Yeah. And, and here I'll, I'll jump in a little bit and go back. You know, when, when rough, when Ruff wasn't re-signed, we brought in Ken Hitchcock, and there was this, you know, Hitch, Hitch said all the right things about, you know, we're, we're going to instill some defensive responsibility, but we are going to change the core nature of the team. And, and then there were a couple things that went south early on in the defense, and, and the, the talk at that time was, well, Hitch, Hitch said the right thing, but then he, he had to lock it down too tight. And so we became defensive-focused. But now if you take a look at what this team looked like as far as that offensive-defensive balance uh, during during the Hitchcock era, it was a lot more balanced than it is now. And so I, I've gained a whole lot more respect for Ken Hitchcock and what he was able to do than I had at the time because I was saying, you know, it was fun to watch the Dallas Stars under Lindy Ruff. You know, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was kind of a shit show when, when everybody got hurt of that last season. But the year before, that was incredible hockey to watch. I mean, how can you not enjoy that team, whether you're a fan or not? And now we've kind of gotten to the point where, you know, you're in a great market here in, in, in Texas for putting on a show. And what we've got is a kind of hockey that only a true hockey fan could love. And how does that fly in Dallas? I mean, how does it fly on the ice right now? So, you know, Trent, I want want to give you an opportunity to, to chime in here. Do you you see the same parallels? Um, I do. It's, but it's kind of weird because you're saying it was a a rebound from super offensive to, okay, let's structure this a little bit. And they overcorrected. And now we're in a super, super defensive mindset and still trying to overcorrect on that. Um, but I, I mean, I imagine it's going to be, I don't know, I'm just kind of spitballing a guess here, but big changes coming in 
the future, if anything. Um, well, and I think as well, some of the changes have started because part of the reaction to you know to not having a backup goalie, because I think Taylor was was bang on, and and anyone that blames it on anything else, like part of the reaction to not having a backup goalie and then having a hurt year under rough it wasn't just that they changed the philosophy of the dallas stars it's they went on this run of drafting and all of a sudden it was it was big you know two-way players at potentially the cost of you know smaller more niche skill profile guys And, and as an organization all of a sudden you wind up in a a spot where you've got you know, the, the running joke used to be you could take any the Dallas Stars bottom six was effectively interchangeable, right? Because there's just always another guy that could play exactly that way. And now you then then you wind up in a situation where all of a sudden you you can't replenish that that you know the at one point the the and Tippin's gonna laugh, the the Hemskies and the Patrick Sharps. And you know, for a while there were some guys that could take some of that scoring depth. And then all of a sudden you stop drafting people that could fill in, you you stop going after them in free agency in pursuit of toughness, and you wind up with a succession of teams that is either entirely entirely driven by, you know, we, we joke about it, right? Sagan, Spezza and Ben, and then Sagan, Spezza and Rachelov, Rachelov, and now, you know, hence Robertson and Pavelski. And and all the and it's starting to correct a little bit. You you've you know you've seen you know Rupe and and Dennis Gurion up and you know the latest draft class. Um, you know why it's doing doing some magic, right? It, it looks like they're finally starting, but it shows like once that mistake got made, it's it's taken half a decade to start digging out from under it. And it's it's yeah, and I guess concerning thing, to see where the team is. Yeah, I mean, how how much are they going to correct? Is it going to be a correction of? in style and whether that comes with a coaching change, who knows? Um, or is it going to be, we have to trade everybody and start completely from scratch. And I, I feel like something's got to happen, but I'm curious as to see what they'll do um, from an actual top to bottom, how much changes, or if it's more, um, they try to hit the precision points to make the changes as small as possible, or if they will. Well, since you brought it up, um, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to answer that question and we'll, we'll let everybody chime in as well. But two, two questions for you. The first being, and, and this is also, you know, Christopher Barnard hit us on Twitter asking this question first, you know, what would you do? And then second, what do you think they will do? Ooh. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think use the talent in the way that's going to emphasize the talent rather than just have an equilibrium of men across the board. Um, and push a little bit more on offense. And most of it just comes down to scheme and structure on the ice. Um, I think the roster's close to, if not already there. Um, and that's what I'm worried about, that they'll blow up the roster. Let's, um, let me, let me pause there be... because I think that is an excellent thing to throw to the group. So Taylor, yeah. And let's assume health for a split second, right? Is, and I'm not saying they're going to, you know, storm to the Stanley Cup or anything, but just from a, a talent perspective, do <laughs> do you like where they're at? <laughs> Couldn't help myself. Um, wow. Uh, yes, I think I do. Um, I think that. <laughs> yikes. Um, I think there are some big names that they need to figure out a way to replace. Uh, coming up this summer, like Radulov although he's been kind of a non-factor this year. Um, they'll have to make a decision on Pavelski. Uh, you know, they got, they've got some, some top six holes that might be coming open, but there's also a really nice youth movement happening between Hintz, Gurionov. You know, I think um, I really like Jacob Peterson when I've been able to see him this year. I think he's got um, a little something there that, that could turn into something. Um, you know, and then they've got the guys coming out of the CHL. And I mean, would it would it shock me if next year Wyatt Johnston shows up at training camp and is like, hello, I'm here. <laughs> and then like Dark Horse makes, you know, makes the roster and never returns to the CHL. I mean, no, I think that would be awesome, actually. I think that would be the exact injection of youth and skill that they could use. Um, I think that. I think there has been a change in philosophy just based on recent draft picks um, that maybe indicates that they're open to or going to change their 
structure mindset moving forward. But I think my biggest thing is at the end of the day, it feels like there is an, an organizational identity crisis happening. There is a disconnect somewhere along the way between scouts, coaching staff, management, and ownership of what a successful hockey team looks like. Mark, think that's fair? I think that was succinctly put. And I think right now what we have is this couple-year draft uh, rodent that's working its way through the snake that uh, that we're going to have to deal with because the the current prospects in the CHL uh, are are pretty impressive, but we have uh, we have to figure out what we can salvage that's currently at at Cedar Park, and so what do we do with Ty Delandria? I mean, well, I guess we start at the top. What do we do with Radic Fox? Because whether whether you like Fox or not, and, and and that's somewhat controversial if you talk to NHL guys, um, he's replaceable. He's replaceable by somebody named Brett Gardner or somebody named uh, Ty Delandria. We we've been drafting for that position for for two or three years, right in the middle there, and so that replacement is around, and it's around for under a million dollars as opposed to three point two or whatever it is. Three point two five through twenty twenty five. So right. they've got plenty it, of time to figure out a Radic Fox or replacement with a modified well, no trade. Well, it, it, true, but I, I I kind of view that. There, there are people we're going to have to make a decision on come trade deadline time. And I, I think there's easy choices and there's tough choices. And I think the easy choices are going to be Alexander Radulov and, uh, and Radic Foxa because there's going to be a market for them. And do you, Radulov, do you, wow, Radulov, I don't want Radulov, to stop. They've, I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you finish, but I, there's are am, am I so out of touch? There's going to be a market for Radic Foxa, and oh, that can be a group question because it, it I'm 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 flummoxed. Absolutely, there definitely yeah. would be. Um, I think proven two way forwards um, for a cup contender would absolutely be of interest. Um, at his cap hit, it may not get you the return that a cheaper um, expiring contract might get you. Um, because he is signed long term, but yeah, I think that there's enough of a body of work with Foxa that he could make for an intriguing piece. Um, but I'm also not sold on him getting traded in in general because I think that with a better system, Radic Foxa could definitely be better than he has shown the last year or two. And I, well, I don't want to discount like his his uh, wrist injury that he played through apparently all of last season. So like kind of nix that whole season and throw it in the garbage. I, I, I agree. And and let, let me let me lead on a little bit. I, I mean Radulov's the easiest choice because I mean he I wouldn't be surprised to see him to go e- either to LA or Anaheim. They're they're teams that that could use a little veteran leadership that aren't necessarily going to win the cup, but uh, you know an expiring contract is somebody who's going to give their young kids a chance at playoffs. And, and Radulov will make that happen. I say Foxa primarily just because they're replacements in the system. And, and the reason I say that is that if you're going to try and maintain this team with absolutely, with, with, without tearing it down, I don't see how you do it without Klingberg. And without Klingberg, I don't think Pavelski wants to stick around because he doesn't want to stick around for a rebuild. And so that was actually where I was going next, because if, if we're talking about the bottom dropping out, if, if we're talking about the Dallas Stars being a seller at the deadline, at what point do we have to acknowledge that Joe Pavelski might sneakily be? I mean, the, the best asset is a right handed defenseman that can run a power play. So it's John Klingberg. But Joe Pavelski's you, you think you'd have to think that a contender would be salivating over a player on an expiring deal having the kind of not just, you know, he's going back to the bubble playoffs. He's been Pavelski has been dynamite for a s- extended stretch of time under incredible duress. You think he couldn't produce on a good team? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't get the yeah. impression that Joe Pavelski wants to leave. Actually, I get the impression that he would be open to resigning here. I think that if you look at his numbers, I think they're quite strong, but I do wonder if teams will look at, um, Rupe Hintz and Jason Robertson next to him and say his numbers might be inflated because of that. 
And do we have a similar scenario where we could put slot him in? And then also they could look back to his first year here in Dallas where he struggled to adjust to a new market, a new team. Mm, Trent, uh, I think you were you were Colony, yeah. I yeah, don't yeah, think I, that he moved. That's exactly my the way I was thinking. But I, I think some of that is tied to Klingberg because if, if Klingberg goes, it signals something about this team that if you're 37, 38 what? years old, whether whether you like the area or not, I'm I'm not sure what motivates you to stick around. <laughs> and like I said, I do want to interject for a second because it sounded like Trent wanted to to chime in on the Joe Pavelski talk. So um, Trent, is there something you want to get in? No, I didn't have too too much. Um, I just well good that I'm glad I, I, I stopped everything for it. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> um, no, I mean I just I agree with Mark on that. I I mean he's wanting to win a cup, obviously something that all of them want to do, and you. He's getting older, and he, I think he chases that over just kind of staying comfortable, especially with a team that's, if it seems like it's going into full rebuild mode. I don't, but see, to me, trading Klingberg does not signal a rebuild, and that's where I think we differ. I don't see that as the true signal of it. Um, I think if you started trading pieces like Radic Foxa, um, like Issa Lindell, and those guys, like, I think that would, that to me then says, yeah, they're tearing this whole thing down. See, um, it's, it's interesting though, I don't because see getting back to, getting back to kind of what Mark said, I, I think that the writing is on the wall with Alexander Radulov. Like the, there's just two, the, it feels like he, he's, he has always been one of those players that almost has to be in a, a top six position to really get maximum use. And the way that this roster continues to develop, that just doesn't seem to be an option any longer. And with an expiring deal and a bunch of other stuff going on, he seems like I don't think getting rid of him signals a a rebuilder or any kind of white flag. I, I'm inclined to agree with Mark on Radic Fox as well, not because well, one, I'm I'm lower on Fox than I think some others are, but and then also he he's a he's a replaceable piece right so i think that the stars could move on from from radulov and i'm not gonna take it too seriously because hey maybe that means they'll stop scratching or, or you know playing with Gurionov's ice time every time he makes you know the slightest little mistake and i'm okay with them moving on from foxa because you know maybe he recovers from the wrist injury and i look stupid for saying this but based on the last you know year and a bit body of work he's he's overpaid he's overturned and he's replaceable based on what they have in the system so okay if you can find a take or get an asset that doesn't bother me too much um klingberg i'm apoplectic about because this team is dumb if they think that they don't need him but at the same time they've mishandled his situation to the point where again they may have to get rid of him just because they've cheesed him off so much that keeping him is pointless right and so i think that you could conceivably get rid of all of those guys without it necessarily being the signal the organization is, is kind of folding up shop for a couple of years to rebuild. Um, even though some of them may not be, like I said, I, I, I think it's absurd that this team is in a position where they're entertaining, not having John Klingberg on the roster. Well, I, I, I guess my, go ahead. I think, I think the issue with John Klingberg is in my view, when I kind of look at all the pieces, I think it's just, Really god awful timing. Um, mm-hmm. A pandemic that flattened a cap that was very unexpected as they as they made their roster plans three four years ago with all these extensions that came up. Um, and I also don't think it's beyond the point of salvageability. I think the issue all kind of comes back to what I was talking about with the organizational identity crisis. If you want to change your philosophy. That means that you're going to need a new management and a new coach because I don't think that there's any owner on this planet that would give a GM a sixth chance of hiring a coach, even if one of those probably was forced upon him. Um, I think that if you're going to make those moves, the problem with that and the fact that Tom Gillardi's business is all about the hospitality industry between restaurants, hotels, and that's been pretty uh, not great the last couple of yeah, years. Yeah, it's been a great, great little stretch, right? Um, so I think they would probably want to try to time out a change in philosophy and, and changing your executives when those contracts expire. The issue is, is that bonus expires this year. Jim Nill expires next year. Those don't match up. So now I think you're at a point where there's almost like a, a paralyzation that's happening where 
they're not sure where they want to go in terms of ethos and like values and how they want to play. And so I think Klingberg has been caught up in that particular storm. And I think that if you bring in a coach that's more offensively minded, he would absolutely like kill to have a John Klingberg on his roster. But if you have to stick with bonus or bonus type hockey for another year in order to make that whole change, like, I don't know if, Greenberg wants to stick around for that. <laughs> um, I don't I want to stick around for that. To so, so like, <laughs> yeah. So like I, you know, and, and I do think that some of the, you know, economics of things play into it. I know that they like some, Jeff Merrick, I think it was, that came out and said the stars are concerned because of the way that Jamie Ben declined and the way that Tyler Sagan has been playing since their extensions. I would argue that Tyler Sagan's injury to me feels like one that's kind of like an ACL where it, probably takes you 12, 18 months to really get back to a hundred over a hundred um, and fully comfortable with the repairs and everything that happened there. Um, I think that anybody could have seen Jamie Vins decline coming and you had to sign your captain. Yeah. I mean that the, the Ben contract, but like, you also it, didn't expect the pandemic to flatten your cap for like four years either. <laughs> and, and I think as well, like lost in the, the impulse sometimes, well, let's just, the, the, like, you know, the diamond in your hand changes colors, right? Lost in the impulse to never sign anybody to term that's of a certain age is there's a different reality at work there, which is if, if you get a reputation as a team that never rewards players, because like the, the structure of, of not just hockey, the structure of any sport, right? A player's best years are cost controlled. And will always be the, the best players are always underpaid. The you know free agents are always overpaid. That's just how it works. But the problem is if you look at a Jamie Ben in the situation where his contract was due, and say yeah, given your your playing style, body of work, history, historical blah blah blah, if you look at him and say we know that this is going to be a train wreck, so we're not going to do it, then it makes it that much harder to get the next guy to come to your organization. If you create a culture where the guys that that kind of bleed for you and produce for you don't get they're just rewards, then you you have much more trouble getting the likes of, you know, Radulov and Pavelski and Ben Bishop. And you you have you have trouble gathering talent because people look at that and say, well, why would I why would I go there to not be appreciated? But see, that's the thing for me is I don't think that they're doing this intentionally to John Klingberg. I think that it's all of those other factors that are playing into why they had they slow played him in terms of a contract extension. Um, I think the worst thing that probably actually ever happened to this stupid organization is going to the Stanley Cup final, which sounds really crazy to say. <laughs> I agree, and it hurts me. That yeah, like, that's where you want your months. team to go. <laughs> that's where you want your team to be. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, it gave false confidence that if we just brought back everything essentially and just like plug and play, that it would work through the season. Then they have COVID outbreak and then it's like, well, now we have to play this defensive style structure to try to accommodate injuries and uh, well, I, a really compact schedule because yeah, I mean, playing high flying hockey is hard. We're back to the Dallas stars taking the wrong lesson from their success and their failure. I mean, that, that cup run was built. I mean, let's think about what happened during that cup run. Miro went, you know, grown ass man. And at the time that they were put in Colorado sleep, Miro was leading Nathan McKinnon in points. Right. Uh, John Klingberg was scoring big goals throughout that playoff run. Dennis Gurionov, he had the five point night. Right. That that playoff run in law. I mean, with with the exception of stretches of the Vegas series where Hudobin played out of his mind, that that series was built on the stars scoring their way out of trouble. Like they didn't beat Calgary by shutting those games down. They beat Calgary by going. You know, and, and but but the optics of how that ended, right? The bottom six got hurt and eroded and they couldn't, you know, the, the optics of that, I think. And then you, you have the immediate loss season. Maybe if the pandemic season actually, you know, hap- doesn't happen and it's normal hockey, we, we don't have this same kind of year wasted and they're able to make some evaluations and, and move some things around earlier. But like, again, it's, yeah, it feels like, the version of the team that got to the finals is where they should be heading. And instead they're trending the opposite direction because they're scared of it. It's a team that's more afraid to fail than it is eager to succeed. And the one thing I do take um, exception to that Mark mentioned earlier is 
that some for some reason the players in the bubble just decided to ignore their coaches and and do what they wanted offensively. I don't think that's actually what happened. Um, I would have to go back and try to find this, but I really vividly recall speaking with Rick Bonus um, coming out of the COVID pause and then going into the bubble. And he talked about how he and his coaching staff all took a look at different things and, and they like took a lot of tape and they did a lot of film and they, and they, and they learned from that during that pause. But I also really vividly remember after the three round Robin games where the team looked like complete ass, um, they shifted the, coaching responsibilities around I think that there was somebody else in charge of the offense and I would love to be able to find this like quote or or figure out who it was back then but I think somebody else was put in charge of the offense and they are the ones who made the changes that got the offensive clicking and then I think when the regular season resumed so to speak they returned back to their traditional roles and it's been garbage since that's been Right, and, and you're exactly right. There was that talk, but there was also talk that they were going to continue on with the newfound newfound defense activation uh, driving offense going into the next season, and we we looked and looked and looked, and we never found it. But that's yeah, what I mean, I'm if, saying. If that person still exists, I'd, I'd love to track them down right about now. <laughs> there was a different coach with that message, I think, is what I'm trying to get at. It's yeah. like oh, there was a different coach in charge of the defense there was a different coach in charge of the i remember them specifically talking about taking special teams away from whoever it was and they were like we're going to try something different we're going to see how it works and like i don't know maybe they went into every game and they played pickup six and said okay tonight todd nelson you're in charge of da 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 offense and then like he just rolled with it i i have no idea what they did in the bubble we were we all weren't there but I, whatever it was that they did it well and they, they like also executed like, I mean, no, I, mean, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. It yeah, seems I think like we should they, have UL Kiviranta score more hat tricks. Yeah, <laughs> fix a lot of problems. I'm just saying, <laughs> like, if you can get that from him, and then Kiviranta has been completely like not used in a, in the same way, like since becoming a regular in the lineup because of that run, that playoff run. So, like, what are we doing? <laughs> that yeah, is, that it, is it the seems, ultimate question. It seems to be. It seems to me that that. You know, lineups are made kind of throwing sticks up in the air and seeing what works. And and then you find something that works, and so you stick with it until it doesn't work. And and I don't see line construction being put together in, in, in a way where you say, here are the skill sets of the three people on this line. Or, or actually, I, I think the way most people look at it is here here are the two primary players on this line. Here's how they interact. And here's the weakness that we need a third player to, to fill in, to, to make that a full line. It, and, it seems like the focus is still on, okay, here's how we want to play. How do we get the players that we have to play the way that we want to play? And, and th- this is super reductive, right? But it, it almost seems like the focus is on doing that versus saying, okay, well, the way that we want to play doesn't fit the players that we have. So how should we, how should we play? Right. And, well, and, and you take a look at the, ex- uh, the success of Robertson and you know exactly why Robertson's successful. It's because Robertson knows how to get the puck away from the board and control it while facing the net. And at that point, he can make decisions and distribute the puck to the guys on his line. I mean, that's the specific skill set that he has that almost nobody else on the entire team has. And that's what drives that line. And you can take at other people, you know, take a look at Rupe Hintz, take a look at Dennis Garyanov. When they first came up, what they had was this amazing speed where they could blow by people. And so for a while, we could use that. And then defenses started taking that away. But you're finding these things that people can be successful with and then intermingling those with other players who can make that success turn into goals. And we just kind of throw it up and say, here's three guys and somehow they're going to make it work. And well, that's, that's what happens when you success. have no offensive structure, yeah. when the exactly. offense is going to take care of itself. 
Well, yeah, and, and it's is- it's that, and it's also that's what happens when players like Jamie Ben and players like Tyler Sagan gain some. It, it, um, using another example, it's why Jason Spezza did, couldn't couldn't succeed towards the back half of his tenure in Dallas. It's the system works when it, when you're you know Jason Robertson, you can do everything that you need to do, and you can kind of when you're Alexander Radulov at the peak of your powers, right? But as soon as those pieces start to become limited and can't create and and generate on their own, that's when you need a structure. The, the contrast is always like, think about, look at all of the man games offensively that the Pittsburgh Penguins have lost, how much they've missed Malkin, how, Malkin, sorry, how much they've missed Sidney Crosby and you know, the Mark Donk joke, right? They can always find somebody that can score. And, and the, the opposite is Dallas can always turn somebody into a, you know, 10 goal score, Right. Because there there's there's this the burden is on the player to figure it out. Right. It's oh you're struggling. I'm going to put you with Luke Glendening and Michael Roffel and be confused when you can't fight your way out of it. Right. Versus saying, okay, what can we do systemically to give you easier looks, better angles, more whatever you want to call it. It seems like where they 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 fail is there's just no help coming. Right. And 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 and. You know, take a look at somebody like Alexander Radulov. How how we've dealt with Radulov has driven me nuts this year because Radulov has some particular skill sets about being tenacious on the puck. He's one of the other guys who can get the puck and turn around and face the net and distribute, but he does it in very bizarre ways. And unless you have some incredible mind melder hockey sense, you don't know how that puck is going to get on your stick. But you just know that Radulov has it and he's going to put it on your stick and you better finish it when you get there. Him and Pavelski are great at it because Pavelski loves it when it shows up on his stick in a quality area. But you throw Radulov out there with some generic fourth line guy, and he's not even going to know what's coming. And in fact, it's probably going to turn into a turnover that's going the other way. It's the old adage, right? If if a puck goes flat through the slot and doesn't hit a stick, it's not always the guy passing the puck's fault. Exactly. And now, now, Trent, I heard you trying to, to chime in. Uh, no, I'm just taking in what Mark just said. I learned something there. Um, yeah, I mean, I was I was just going to make a quip about the, uh, the offensive structure we do have being exclusively just sending it around the boards from one side to the other. And it is a ping pong match. So I guess that makes sense why Robertson is good on offense, because there's plenty of opportunities to get the puck off the boards and the offensive structure. Yeah, and, and the reason why we end up running a bunch of the offense through the defense Uh, with the exception of the first line, is that the defenders at the points are about the only guys who can get the puck off the boards and put it back into play. And and what they try and do is find a find a way they can get it to the net and kind of throw it into the into the ping pong ball machine and hope we get a lucky break and get a gravy goal. And even then, you only have of those defenders. You're really just talking about two guys, one of which the Dallas Stars seem bound and determined to trade over the next couple of months. Yeah, although Suter Suter's pretty good at it too. No. <laughs> she said it before I could. <laughs> okay, rant over. Somebody else. I, 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 mean, I need to I pour just, more drink. Yeah. Yeah, get more of that blue label going. Um, yeah. yeah, so I don't know. I I think it's really difficult to see where the stars go from here without major changes, whether that is player, coaching, executive, whatever. Um, all of the above. Uh, I do hope that the recent hiring of an analytics manager <laughs> whose job is to assess players and, and look at them and determine their values as it relates to contracts, things like that, um, will help um, bring this organization into the 21st century. That'd be nice. It'd be nice. So let's speaking of nice, because we've been rambling for a bit. Let's let's go ahead. We're going to do one. Everybody's got to give me one happy thing before we, we wrap up tonight's podcast. So don't want to put anyone on the spot, but any volunteers? Uh, I just poured another drink. There you go. Whatever. Whatever gets you through the next game. <laughs> uh, we're, we're going on the road against uh, Buffalo and Detroit. Oh, thank goodness! More road games. Just, just what this team needs to kick themselves out of the doldrums. Uh, did I mention Buffalo and Detroit? <laughs> did you yeah, mention well, Montreal going into last night? 
at home. Hey, didn't didn't you love the picture that I threw up there for the game day thread? I thought that was perfect. It's it. There would be nothing. It, it would be the most stars thing in the world for them to rattle off like six wins on the trot after this debacle. That, oh, that's I mean, stars realistically, it. they should though, because like, there. If you want to be a playoff team, you have to be the lowly play teams in the league. You've got to figure out a way to get some points. They um, got, they've, they've got to. It's it's getting hurry. to that point, right? And I mean. This roller coaster ride that the Stars team seems destined to just put us on and keep us on, we've gone pretty low. So I think, Mark, I mean, the other piece of your game day thread, what was your caption? It can't get any worse, right? <laughs> yeah, I curse that one. <laughs> at, uh, at some point, you're right. I was <laughs> going to say, right I agree with Taylor. It can always get worse. Yeah, I can. That was actually a, a hopeful statement. <laughs> so, Taylor, what's your, what's your positive takeaway? Um, my positive takeaway takeaway is that even if this team is destined to miss the playoffs and maybe trade some pieces, I think there are still some bright spots that we can look forward to. Um, Ruby Hintz and Jason Robertson continue continuing to make their case for, you know, becoming superstars in this league. Um, you know, I mean, I'm always amazed at what Joe Pavelski can do at his age and, and like he's younger than me. Um, so that makes me feel really good about my life. Um, so like, yay, Joe. Actually, we're around the same age, whatever. I think he's a couple of months younger than me. But um, but like, so there are things that we can, you know, and Jake Auditor is getting a lot of valuable experience, you know, as he makes his way towards being the goalie of the future. Um, and, you know, you're starting to see some call-ups like Damiani and, um, you know, being able to see what they can do and maybe – maybe a guy can come in and look, look around him and say, well, this is a dumpster fire. And then, you know, basically come in and say, but watch what I can do. Um, and there's always that opportunity. And so I think that even though it is super frustrating and most nights you want to throw your remote control at the TV, I mean, just find a way to find some good. I, I think that's my positive as well, and that will end there. Is even if even if what we are looking at is is kind of the end of this this year's run, right? Even if they do trade John Klingberg, there are you know Miro and Robertson and Henson and, and Gurionov and the draft. The last draft class seems to be fantastic, and Ottinger, Montreal notwithstanding, this this isn't a situation you know to to contrast with the team that just beat them and the other kind of Stanley Cup finalists that went through the same. This isn't a team like Montreal where the Cup final run was a complete mon- mirage. And the cupboard was actually bare. Like, yeah, the, the stars caught a bunch of breaks to get where they got, but there are some some bedrock pieces of this organization that are very, very good. And while it may not be manifesting on the ice today, right now, there is certainly every opportunity for this team to be, you know, very good in the very near future without a ton of their, they don't have any despite what the vitriol might tell you, they don't have any cap crippling contracts on the books right now, right? They've got some big ones, but they've also got flexibility, right? They don't, there's no true albatross. There's no, you know, major holes in the roster that can't get filled somewhere. This is a team with options and a team with some building blocks. And so it's not all, all is not lost. I think, uh, I think my positive is, well, you know, in addition to what you guys are saying, that's fun. Um, summer sucks. It always does the down season of hockey, but I think this one's going to be pretty interesting for stars fans. Uh, if nothing else, I'll have every alert on Twitter set up. So that'll give you something to do on the, uh, random Tuesday nights when there's no sports. Also, like, let's not lose sight of the fact that we aren't even at the halfway mark. So like calling the Dallas stars dead today is, it's not it. <laughs> are we, are we really not there halfway yet? yet? We really aren't. Well, well, so, we'll see, right? I'm just saying. It, no, it's, I it's definitely I not over, saying right? Just, it, it's, I don't know. The, it, the, it's kind of got like a, a, a weird feeling about this year. Nothing seems set in stone. So that's Dallas all. has played 36 games as of this recording. The problem is much less that Dallas doesn't have the room to catch up and much more that watching them play right now makes it hard to fathom they would use the room that they do have to catch up. But yeah, it's it's on the plate, right? It's there. They, there's This team is not out of it 
by a long shot. They've they've won seven games at a stretch this season. They do that again, and this situation's much different. But we are we are over time. We've we've talked a lot. We've got you know big games coming up. Um, thank you guys for buckling down and, and kind of gritting through the pain with us. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what this team does on and off the ice over the next couple of uh, days, weeks, months, whatever you want to call it. And, and, and again, uh, KT, thank you for sticking with us. Uh, keep the questions coming. Uh, keep the downloads, the likes, all that fun stuff. And we'll be back to talk some hockey, hockey next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.